No longer slaves. There's something really incredible about that verse, and there's been something really incredible about all of today, and just, I don't know, things have been lining up, and so either God's going to do something really cool and crazy, or your youth pastor is going to do something really uh, annoying. Uh, so we're going to try to lean towards that other way. Uh, so my name's Rich. I'm a youth pastor, family pastor. Dave's on vacation, our senior pastor, so that means we get a little free reign. So we're bringing a little bit of youth group uh, to the sanctuary. Uh, in the youth room, we've got a big wall that we do tape pictures on. We're trying to get a dry erase board because it's a little bit easier to kind of fix things, and the kids are a little uh, in need of lines to be straight. And walls and tape don't really go together in making straight things unless you're really good at it. And I just, I'm, I like to draw pictures, so it's okay. But uh, today I'm hoping to take you guys on a journey uh, with me, one that walks through kind of uh, where my heart is, why I love middle school kids, uh, and their smells, and their noise, and everything that comes with them, their ability to hide uh, potatoes in the vents of the church van. I didn't really think that one was an issue until like the first week of being a youth pastor. Then now it's a continual issue. Um, but there's something about letting our, our next generation, our kids, our youth be free enough to express themselves, but also to start teaching them about who they are and how God has loved them. Um, and so that's part of my, my struggle as a youth pastor is trying to figure out how to reach each one of our kids because as much as they all look the same height-wise and sometimes in their clothes, those might be my kids because we pass clothes along, but we need to reach each one of them because they're uniquely different. In uh, each of our youth is the same way. In each of our young families is the same way. And you know what? All of the lost people around us are the same way as well. And so we have to figure out how to reach them where they're at um, so that the next generation of the church uh, continues to be here. Um, and we need to love them and to not just serve them and put up on a great event. You know, getting dirty in the parking lot is fun. But if we never move that to the next thing, we're missing out on what God has asked us to do. And so we hope that those events give us a footprint, give us some ability to say, hey, we've gotten messy with you. I've cleaned up your potatoes out of the vents. Um, maybe you can listen to me a little bit as we have some truth um, that has lasted generations, um, that's allowed this church to be here generations. Um, that is important. And that's, that's to understand who our God is, the great works he's done, um, that sacrifice of Jesus, uh, and that at some point, I hope that that little truth lets them set their hope in him and experience who he is by experiencing his people, this body. And so uh, I apologize today a little bit because you're going to hear my heart. You're going to hear my struggle. And some of you have talked with me. I get a little radical and harsh because I care about what happens to them. And I know you do too, uh, but I, I put up with their smell. And so we, I really care. <laughs> um, 
And so it's just to see them become that next generation. Um, and that's that urgency, because today our culture um, is desperately trying to kill that truth in what's out there. And so our kids are living in this community that says there's no need for God, that says divorce is accepted, an accepted practice, and we can get there. doesn't matter. You, you choose the reason, and we're going to deal with this. Uh, even now, more that marriage is a second thought after living together and after trying to try this out. Um, and you know what? That is destroying families. Um, it is giving our kids an anxiety that they don't know what to do with. And, and even in this community, there's this, this piece that says, truth is what I define. And if you're against my definition, then that's when we're going to have a struggle. And as long as we're in line with where culture is going, not our culture, their culture, then truth is good. Because I defined it, and tomorrow it'll be different. And as long as we're all together on the same page, it doesn't matter. But our community needs that truth. And so uh, I don't have a tape board, but I have two glasses of water. Well, one glass of water... One glass of something else. I saw this video this morning, and it kind of fits, so we're going to try it out. So these look exactly the same. And if you know anything about glass cleaner, I don't know why I know this now. It's apparently a parent thing. We have to learn things that are going to potentially destroy our children. If you use Windex, Windex isn't naturally blue. We color it blue so it doesn't look like water. And hopefully when our kids go and grab a bottle of Windex, just like my kids grab the squirt bottle in the backyard and start to drink out of it, they will choose the life-giving substance instead of the one that is potentially, well, and is deadly for them. And someone has to teach them that truth that exists out there. Otherwise, they're going to drink one that looks exactly like it's supposed to, but has a definitely a different impact in their life. And the world is okay with putting some color into the poison that we'll put under our sinks and in the bathroom, but it's definitely not okay anymore with putting a color on what that truth is. And so... We have a desperate need of reaching our kids with that truth so that they survive. Because the truth is about life and death. That's, that's our understanding. That is the truth we've been given by God is that one of those will lead you to life and the other is going to lead you to death. And there's nowhere in between and so my hope, so you get to understand a little bit of where I'm coming from, is why we need to reach our kids and our youth and our families. And not just the, the next generation as those we can identify because they're smaller than us, but those who are new in Christ and who desperately need to know what that truth is. Because the rest of you who have been around know that when you take that drink, the life-giving side of life that Christ offers, you're not instantly there. We have to grow. We have to mature. We have to figure out what that means. And that, 
that's a long commitment. It's been a long commitment in my life, and I'm not even praying hopefully close to the end. And so there's a reason we have that. So we're going to be in Psalm 78 today, and uh, you're welcome to kind of start heading that way. But I want to read to you a different version. Um, I like to kind of look through them, and so I used the message as I was kind of understanding how our culture sometimes sees things. And it, it had a great impact to me. It says it this way. Listen, dear friends, to God's truth. Bend your ears to what I tell you. I am chewing on the morsel of a proverb, and I'll let you in on the sweet old truths. Stories we've heard from our fathers, counsel we have learned at our mother's knee. We're not keeping this to ourselves. We're passing it along to the next generation. God's fame and fortune, the marvelous things he's done. This is such an incredible just invite into God's word. There's something soft about, so Asaph is writing this. He's one of uh, David's, King David's uh, kind of songwriters and worship leaders. And he's just inviting us to truly listen. And this got to me because as we prepare and as I prepared, I really needed to listen to what God was saying. There's something different than reading it because sometimes my morning readings are just readings. I'm like, I got to get through this. I'm going to read it. God's going to do something. And then I'm off and running. Um, sometimes that's to the morning comics. Sometimes that's to this morning's Facebook memory that it pops up. And all of a sudden, I'm off kind of running in a different direction. But God's kind of trying to call us back to himself in this. And so in Romans, Paul reminds us that faith comes from hearing. And right before that, in Romans 10, Paul says this, how will then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? Our own salvation started with listening to what God said. And it continues with that because our sanctification, our growing closer to him, rests in listening and hearing what he says. And so as this psalm starts, we're reminded to listen. And so let's, uh, let's pray. Let's kind of set our hearts back a little bit so we can hear what God's word is leading us today. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the insight it provides into our life. We thank you for the truth it is defined for us, not so that we get to define it and decide, but that we can understand what you have said. And Lord, today, help us understand how we're to take that truth and apply it in our context, to apply it to our culture, to apply it to our kids, to apply it to our own lives. Because, Lord, we know nothing starts without you. You created us in the beginning. You have had the plan to the end, and you are calling us to you. So, Lord, let us listen and hear what you're, you are calling us. In your name we pray. Amen. So, Psalm 78, we are not reading through all of this. Uh, Pastor Dave did inform me that this was a large passage, and so uh, not to bite off more than I should chew. So I listened listening to some wisdom. And so we're going to be in the first eight verses of this. We kind of listen through the message part, uh, the version of verses one through four. And then we're going to be in five through eight. 
um, going forward. And we're going to look at this in three different parts. Uh, first, God has a command for us in here that we need to hear. That he's given us a mission out of that. And then we're going to look at how we're going to let that mission and that command help us teach and reach the next generation. Because God has some specific ways for how we should do that. So uh, let's read Psalm 78, verses 1 through 8. It says, Give me, or give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to my words, to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. And we will not hide them from... Uh, we will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments." And they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. So as we think about the church and its ability to reach our children, to reach the next generation, a generation that's going to be faithful, not just that there's a Bible on the bookshelf, um, or maybe a Bible app in your phone that you never crack open or update. Um, and in order to do that, we have to start where God starts us, and that's with his commands. Now, you know, a little bit of defining because culture needs defini definitions. It's a command. It's not a choice. It's not a preference. This one over that one, it's a command. And it's what we're called to do. And so in this, he says, he, God established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their, their, to their children. So God's command in here is that we teach to what he has taught our fathers to our children. And not that it just stops there, but it's to their children as well. So we don't have just a short step of, oh, look, here's my testimony. But that if that doesn't impact not one, but two generations, something is missing. And this command is based on a very solid foundation. This is God. God who's talking... God is the one who established the testimony, right? He is the creator. He is the one with the plan. He was the one who defines the law. This is his creation, and we are his people. It means he's our leader. If he could command us, he has a position over us. Again, this is a cultural thing that is not well received, right? We like to be in charge. I don't think this is a new culture. I think this is a human culture, Right, where, where we like to be the one who makes the decision. That happened in the beginning. Right? And he gives us this command. He says to teach 
this to their children and to their children and to their children. So as we look at this, we need to break down a few other things, right? This is a historical psalm. So as the rest goes on, we're going to hear the story of God's people. We've been walking through the Old Testament as a church, right? Uh, This isn't quite the most awe-inspiring story sometimes when we talk about God's people. They didn't always do the right thing. They didn't always do the greatest thing. But regardless of all of that, God did wondrous works and sought after them the entire time. And he taught this whole testimony to their fathers. Fathers, in this case, is not a gender role. This is speaking to all of God's people, right? So this command, just as kind of Jesus talks about in Matthew 28, is part of that great commission. Go and make disciples of all the nations. It's not a gender role. It is not for the pastor. It is not for the missionary. It's not for any one of those labels except for God's people. So it's a command to all of us. And so as we accept this command, this becomes our mission. And we look at this two ways. As a people here at Hillsborough First Baptist, we know this is our job, okay? And as we plan, and we interpret it two different ways. So we're going to talk first about the little ones, the ones you run around that may almost make you trip, the ones we're, as parents, trying to slow down and put in the right locations to go crazy. Uh, at least those are mine. <laughs> we have a plan that, and recognize God has a specific plan for the family unit. And we believe parents are the primary disciplers of their children. And why is this? Well, it's, also, it's one, it's God-directed, and it's a pretty logical expectation. And we can look at that. If you want, turn to Deuteronomy 6. We're going to be here for a little bit. Uh, and you can, this is one of the verses we use in our children's ministry to define our role and what our ministry looks like. Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 4, says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hands and they will be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. It's a pretty specific expectation in there that In that family unit, as you raise your children, we're to be pouring into those kids. To write them before them, to talk about it, not just in church, but as we walk. We recognize we have not even one hour with our kids here in church when they're off in their Sunday school, in their children's church class in Cross Street. So if we're going to partner, we're going to partner with parents because that's who is going to continue this going forward. And that's why we send home the verse. That's why we're trying to do everything to help parents be the one to disciple their children. Because when there's a question, logic says, I'm not the one who's going to be there. Mom and dad are going to be there. 
And now let's be honest. We live in a world that's broken. We live in a world that this family unit is not the biblical plan that God says is the best. And so it doesn't always look like mom and dad. Uh, Sometimes it's a single faith parent that leads the home. Sometimes it's grandma and grandpa. Sometimes it's the aunt and uncle. And so they, as that spiritual leader in the family, are the discipler of them. And we love that, that, that commitment those folks make to their kids. And they have the most access, right? Because they're the ones living with them who are there when they wake up from a nightmare or when they don't want to go to bed or when they're struggling with maybe a sibling or a friend of how do we respond. But it doesn't end there. So that's kind of phase one for that family unit. As a church family, we supplement this as well. We spiritually adopt every child who comes in our door. And I know you guys do this because you ask, how do we pray for them? What can we do? But this can be expressed in more ways than just prayer, right? We have people assisting in children's ministry, teaching them for those hours we can get. We will take every moment we can to put that truth so they know what is life-giving and what is poison. We have people giving rides who are willing to, maybe they're not that person, but they can go pick them up and drive them. We have some great volunteers drive us to camp. And then my kids ask some questions. Like, why are they here? Why, why do they want to know my name? Because that's a pretty basic relationship thing. But again, a culture says different, and we're trying to teach those truths. But those are great ways to build relationships and how we supplement that family, Right? And then we have people who build relationships, who are the ones who constantly check in, who remember the name, who give them cards, who when they haven't seen them for a little bit, will still go up and say, how are you doing? And even get it wrong. We're like, oh, you live over here. This is your name. It doesn't matter. You tried. That is adopting those kids. And some of you have even gone around in further of adopting them into your own families, right? They're the ones... Uh, Our kids are growing, and so we're starting to experience that high school adoption that happens where kids are just in your house eating your food, living on your couch, and they're not, you don't even know where they came from. Yet you, in that role, love them. When they ask, you give them the truth and not the poison. And so that's one of those other ways we do that, because this is all of our problem. This is all of our mission. It is not just mine. It's not just yours. But together as God's people, all of us have been called to do this. So now let's, let's look at children a little bit as well, right? Uh, we think about the kids in our church, and as we said, you can see them. They all ran out together. Uh, our, our youth helpers are going out with them. I try to run out with them too, but I'm still an adult. But... Those are the kids we can easily recognize. You usually see them on youth nights. They're the ones running through the building, either throwing Nerf darts, making a noise, leaving a mess, right? But there's another aspect of who our children are as well. So we've got our, uh, oh, who's the next? Keep going. One more time, one more time, one more time. Oh, there we go, new believers. 
We have a wheel we've been using over at Hillsborough First Baptist to talk about discipleship. One more now. There we go. New believers are children just as much as our little ones are. All right, so let, let's, as we talk about this diagram, right, we've used it for discipleship. We know truth says we are all born separated from God and in sin. We all are spiritually dead. And we need, ooh, lasers. And we have to be born again. And just like your children are born physically small, we are born spiritually small as well. And then we start that journey, call it sanctification, slowly walking steps and steps closer to God, right? That new heart in Christ starts to grow. And we just don't start running, we start crawling as spiritual infants. And eventually we become children, toddlers, right? You know toddlers, sometimes they toddle forward, sometimes they fall back. They, that's our spiritual journey as well. And eventually, all right, it's not because they've grown older in, or taller. It's because their hearts have matured, because they have grown spiritually, that they become hopefully young adults, and then eventually a discipler, a parent of another spiritual infant. That's our mission, is to go reach the next generation. And so we have children, and we have children, that are part of that next generation. And so when I speak of next generation as your youth pastor and family pastor, yeah, I have a priority in a mission you've kind of asked me to go for. But God has said that this other side is just as big of a part of the next generation as those little kids. Because if they don't grow, we're doing them wrong. If we don't grow all of them as that next generation, we are never going to invite them into leadership. We are never going to give them the baton to say, you have a mission too that you're called to do. Because, right, this is a circle. Hopefully we are born again, we grow up, we learn some things along the way, and we come to the point of becoming a parent of a new believer. And we totally trust and know God has more to do this with this than anything we can do. We cannot make this happen, but God will. And he's entrusted us. He's given us that mission to walk them forward. So this new generation, this next generation, young and old, all are in need of this relationship with Christ. And they're beginning in it, just like our kids do. And so how do we teach them? All right, God has given us a command. It is our mission as parents, as the body, as a faithful believer to reach and teach the next generation. So how do we teach them? What do we teach them? Number one is we focus on the main thing. If you recall back in Psalm 78, verse 5, he says, God, he established a testimony in Jacob, and he appointed a law in Israel. So God established a testimony in Jacob way before he appointed the law to them. All right, God has revealed his will in this plan. 
right? He did it himself, speaking to Adam and Eve in the garden, right? He did it through the prophets, sending prophets to talk about what is to come, right? He did it through his son as the ultimate example, and he did it in his word, and he's left it here for us. And so this is the first priority, is to share God's story long before we ever share that law. So let's validate this. If you, if you want, turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. Some of you know this. This is the Ten Commandments. And it starts right off in the beginning. And God spoke all of these words saying, I am the Lord your God who's brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then he goes on to say, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself a carved image, an idol. And he continues with the law and then a little more, but not about a law, but how we worship and love the God who first loved us. You see, if we don't put the law, or the law second, what we create is a generation that is more about following the rules than following the heart of God in everything they do. Because when we taught them the law, they followed the law. But when we taught them how God loved them and what he did, they will follow the God who loves them. So if you still have your finger in Deuteronomy 6, we can look at it one more way. It's kind of funny how God reminds us of some things. So starting in verse 20, he says this. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? It's interesting in culture today, we have a generation that is dissecting and questioning every set of law and guideline that has been put before them to try to understand the why. Because they don't know it. And God even says, you're going to teach them. Even if you do it the right way, they're going to ask the question, why? Because just like our children ask why, 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 and our spiritual new believers ask the question, why, why, why? God knew that. And he said this, you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed signs and wonders and great and grievous against Egypt, against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteous for us if we are careful to do all the, this commandment but before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. So when we teach 
about the love of God, it will drive us to those next steps of faithfulness, of wanting to obey what God has asked us to do because he's a loving God, not because he's only that judge, not because he's only an angry God, but because he loves us, we want to do that. So as I was kind of preparing, uh, Pastor Dave gave me some Charles Spurgeon. Uh, actually enjoy Charles. Uh, and he had a great... Uh, thing that he talked about. It was called having a holy memory. And so he wrote this, those who know the name of the Lord will set their hope in him that they might be led to do so is the main end of all spiritual teaching. Let us not forget the works of God, that grace cures bad memories. Those who soon forget the merciful works of the Lord have need of teaching. They require to learn the divine art of a holy memory. Those who forget God's works are sure to fail in their own. He who does not keep God's love in memory is not likely to remember his law. The design of teaching is practical. Holiness towards God is the end we aim at, and not the filling of the head with speculative notions. To have a holy memory is to remember his greatest works in love when we are at our lowest. Imagine how much easier it would be to recover from trial, from struggle, from failure, if instead of remembering what God told us not to do, we remembered how much he loved us and sought after us and found us and brought us back to him. We recently in Cross Street in the children's ministry how to put some rules for the classroom out. This is kind of a standard like classroom thing. We just kind of standardized it for us. Rule number one, Jesus loves everyone. Before listening to the teacher, before obeying what we say, before keeping your hands and feet to yourself, remember Jesus loves everyone. Love comes before the rules. So our mission is not just to teach, but to reach the next generation. It's God's command that defines our mission, right? Go teach your children so that they will teach their children to rise up and teach their children. And to do it first about who he is, how he loves us before we even focus on what that law looks like. And God measures this not by how many times we stand up and tell someone about it. Does it, my success as your youth pastor isn't how many times I can have youth group, how many games we can have. As a pastor, it's not how many times I can sit up here. It's not how many times you can sit there and receive and listen to something. But he measures it by the movement of the next generation. And really, not just the first generation, but the second. So God's desire is that this message is taught, so it brings about a knowledge of who God is, which leads to a hope set only in him through his son, Jesus Christ. And that this hope alone, in understanding who he is, will bring about an obedience to the word. 
So if we want our children, our next generation, to be faithful, obedient children, we need to teach them about a God who loves them so that they'll be faithful when there's a struggle. And the judgment and the measure of that is that then they will pick up those reins and teach their children and their next generation. And again, we recognize we're supposed to be faithful people, so that will then continue on down the line as generation impacts generation with the one message of how Christ died for us and how God has loved us. So I ask you, church, if we understand God's commands and that it's our mission, that he's really told us to go teach, and not just teach, but to reach the next generation, right? Multiple generations. Like this is 20, 40, 60 years later, and we're struggling in seeing that growth. If we look at the community around us and we see our children desiring to love God but not be part of his family, or maybe to just deny him at all, if culture is moving away from him and they don't know him and they don't want to obey him and they don't feel they can love God enough, whose fault is it? It's mine. It's ours. When my children decide they don't want this, it's mine. I don't get to just tell them and trust God's going to do it. I'm going to tell them I'm going to trust God's going to do that, and then I will continue to figure out how to reach them where they are at until I am no longer here or they've picked it up and are doing it with their children. And then since I've been around the block, I should probably help them because it was a hard path. So as a parent, my teaching, my reaching my children is not done when they're 18. It is not done when they move out. I didn't think about this. I don't know why. Family and friends said, this is a lifelong journey of having children. We're celebrating a new family that has walked into this. And I'm sure as all of you who've walked with your own children and are walking with those you've adopted, this isn't ending, is it? Your heart is struggling. Your heart is trying to figure out how to do this so that we raise a group of faithful believers who love God more than they love the law and want to see that continue. Now, I'm going to be honest. I connect a lot more with the bottom half of this psalm than I ever did the front half of this psalm. Because I'm just like the rest of God's people. Uh, My testimony is not full of grand prophetic greatness. I'm not always making those right decisions. I never have. And so, let's listen to this. But not, uh, let's start at the beginning. And he established the testimony in Jacob and appointed the law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children to the next, that the next generation might know them, 
the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn, rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. I sure do feel like I can answer that one a lot better than I can say, I am reaching the next generation. My testimony speaks to my failure. My God speaks to his greatness and what he wants me to do. And as we look at this, there is a whole testimony of God's people. And he is not raising up the great things they did. Good job in trying to build a tower to reach the heavens. Good job in making your own decisions and not listening to me. He reminds them, failure happens. Reminds them that they failed, that I fail. And I think if we're truly honest, we all could admit these. He says these things. They refused to listen. They forgot. They rebelled over and over again. They tested God. They did not trust God. They were hypocrites. They were impatient. They were faithless. Verse 38 says this, though. Yet he, being compassionate, atoned for their inequity and did not destroy them. He restrained his anger often and did not stir up all his wrath. And he remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passed and comes not again. But God is compassionate. But God forgave them. But God did not destroy them. God restrained his anger and God remembered who they were. This is a message that I have to remember every day we wake up. Every time I look in the mirror, but God is the story that we need to remember. As we teach our children about loving a loving God, we need to teach them that, but God did it. My story is second to his story. And if my testimony speaks to my greatness, then I am not giving God his credit. And I'm pretty sure God is good at trying to bring me back because he's done it over and over again. But if we don't put God in that place, we're not going to be able to do that. And I know he's there for me, and I've seen him in your testimonies. And as a church, as God's people, we need to see that in what we're going to do next as well. Because I know, and I've had the conversations about the truth that's in the community around us, the truth that my kids struggle with of identifying, is it life-giving or is it poison? And so I have to ask the question, how am I going to get them there? So how do we get there? I have three application questions for you. In your sheets, I'm rearranging them. They're going to be correct up here because... Electronically, we can change things faster than we can reprint. I'm going to ask you a question. Are you comfortable with your own story? I want you to go home and read all of Psalm 78. I want you to hear God's story and God, the story of God's people and the message that over and over again comes out. They refuse to listen. They forgot. 
They rebelled again and again. They tested God. They didn't trust him. They were hypocrites. They were impatient. They were faithless. This is my testimony. I refused to listen to God multiple times, but he did something incredible. I have definitely forgotten who God was. Then he reminded me. I have fought God over things we don't like, things that happen in life, family that are struggling, family that are sick. I don't like the answer. Still God. We all test God. Like, God, I'll pray this, but I want to see this answer. I know sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. And we just sit there until we recognize what God has done. And we can go through that list, but as we read, heaven forbid they should be like their parents, bullheaded, a bad and fickle, faithless bunch who never stayed true to God. If we don't start first with getting ourselves right before God and trusting that our testimony of not the great things we've done, but where we've struggled and how God has filled that and how God has loved us, we're not going to reach that next generation because they want your authentic faith. They want to hear your authentic story. Glass cleaner smells an awful lot different than water. And they're going to smell you before they even want to listen to you. So if your testimony can't acknowledge your own struggle, don't try to share it with them. Because they want to hear about how God answered your need how he answered my need and how great he was before they even want to listen about how to go about this life of faith. I'm going to ask you the next question. Are you teaching or are you telling? Are you teaching or are you reaching the next generation? I've had quite a few people teach or tell me about what God says. We've taken youth to the concerts downtown great faith opportunities, and there's always some, someone on the corner willing to blast how we are going to hell, how we are horrible people, and that only God can do it. Like, that's not what we hear here. Like, why don't you teach like that? Why would they listen? It actually turns them off. We've lost kids because of that because they're scared what we're going to do next. And sometimes we're teaching the right things. But if teaching doesn't reach, it doesn't matter. There's a reason we're canceling serving through the summer in the park. We didn't reach any kids. So let's change what we're doing. The truth doesn't change. We're not changing the truth. We're just changing the way we're going to try to connect with them. That's okay. And so it's okay to say we were wrong. I don't think God's message is wrong. I don't think serving in the park is wrong. But if we're not going to be able to do those things, let's put our resources, our talents, our skills, our time into the right place. Because those are more important. And so as we look at what we do as a church, Can we answer those same things? I struggle with my youth and how we reach the next generation. I struggle with 
how my youth want to come and worship in the bigger body of God. And my struggle is, is they don't want to yet. So I'm not giving up on God. I'm not giving up on them. I'm just going to go try to find another way to bridge that gap, to bring them one step closer to you, and hopefully you one step closer to them. And then again, the measurement happens. It's not that we just got them in our seats, but it's that they're going to share this with their friends, that this life-giving drink doesn't stop with them. This kind of leads into question three. Are you teaching the program? I love the things I do. I love the idea of serving in the summer. And we could do it until August. And I could try to teach someone else to, to do the same thing. But it's not working. So I'm not going to pass it along. And I don't care about what the program is care about our God and how he loved us and how he still loves us and he seeks after us and that he wants us. And that's the message that I care for our next generation to take. And so we need to communicate this message through this culture, which means sometimes we need to go learn how to speak what the culture speaks, how to translate the truth, not change it, but translate it and then test it was it effective? And then continue forward. But the answer is, and the funny thing about my notes here, this is Facebook, if you know any of the kind of the imagery. Our youth don't use Facebook anymore. Technology is far changing faster than I can even keep up. In some of those places, it's not safe to keep up. So how do we keep moving the message forward in a culture that's changing is we're going to have to figure out how to speak their language, how to love them where they're at, and how to stick with them until the end. Because that's what Christ did with me. It's what Christ has done with you. So let's not forget it. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to introduce what we're doing at the end. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for your message. We thank you for all of those who shared their hearts and their testimony with us. And Lord, we love the fact that it is not about their story, but about who you are, how you've loved us, how you care for us. Lord, we know you, you did more than just provide for them, that you went one step further. You sent your son to live and die as a sacrifice for our sins so that we would again be in relationship with you, so that we would know how much you love us based not on how we can perform, based on how we can work, but solely based on your love. And you call us then to be faithful, Lord, and we pray that we can be faithful in this message to reach the next generation two times away. Amen.